Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious, conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity, fulfill their purpose, and bring their ideas to life. I'm Brandon Fong, and I'm beyond excited to introduce you to today's returning guest, Jude Charles. As I'm continuing to take in water, I'm like, okay, I got to figure out something else to do here because this might be it. So I get up all the, I get, buster all the energy that I have to go to the bottom of the pool and I jump all the way up. Like I let myself sink and then I just jump all the way up. And then when I got to the top, I just screamed, help, <laughs> and sink right back down. Man, oh man, I bet the suspense is killing you. Does he drown? I don't know. I guess you'll have to find out, but I guess you're hearing him on a podcast, so um, obviously he didn't drown. <laughs> but you have to listen to figure out what happens next, and if Jude is familiar, if his voice is familiar, if the title is familiar, it's because Jude is coming back because his part one episode was so good, I asked him if he would come back for a part two. So, if you haven't listened to part one, I would highly recommend that you do that because you'll get that much more out of this episode. In part one, we dive into how Jude uncovered his life purpose from a sad and incredibly unexpected place. We talked about the power of creating story banks and why Jude doesn't believe in storytelling formulas and why storytelling is, at its core, simply about specific moments in time. So once again, pause. I promise we'll still be here when you get back and I would highly recommend listening to part one. But the main reason why I brought Jude back is because the content from part one was so good and we barely scratched the surface of his book, Dramatic Demonstration, How to Attract Premium Clients and Scale Your Business with Visual Storytelling. So in this part, we get to dive into his juicy goodness of dramatic demonstration. And there's so much to look forward to in today's episode. But as always, I would love for you to look out for three specific things. Number one, best. B-E-S-T. It is an acronym that Jude invented that has empowered him to consistently attract high-paying clients. We're talking $100,000 and up clients. Number two, I want you to look out for the five types of dramatic demonstration. So good. Can't wait for you to hear those. And specifically, we dive a lot into USP, which is super, super fun. And number three, how to show your why. So once you've uncovered your why, how do you actually show and demonstrate your why so that people fully understand it. So once again, if you're listening to part two, after listening to part one, you'll have heard this twice, but here's Jude's bio. For over 15 years, Jude Charles has been producing documentaries for entrepreneurs. He has produced stories for Google, Steve Harvey, and dozens of visionary CEOs. Jude is the author of Dramatic Demonstration, and this book is a roadmap that teaches you how to dig deep to find compelling stories that no one else knows, and then leverage those stories to grow your business. Jude's mission is to lead and empower entrepreneurs to have relentless, unwavering courage. Guys, this is such a good episode, and I'm so grateful for Jude to come back a second time and continue delivering the goods. He always shows up, and I'm super excited for you to listen. So without any further ado, here is my good friend, Mr. Jude Charles. Mr. Jude Charles returns, part two. Super excited to dive in. I just have been looking forward to this for weeks now. So welcome back, my friend. Brandon, I'm excited to be back as well. Uh, I am fresh out of a sabbatical and a lot brewing in my mind. Um, but no, and, I, and it's funny because I think 
the last time we talked, I was getting ready to go on sabbatical. You were, so. you were. So now <laughs> so, we get we get Zen Jude Charles version <laughs> coming in from his his mountain of Zen and all the insights that come with that. So, um, everybody has listened to the the intro of this. So, like everybody's already obviously been encouraged to listen to part one. And if you're still listening to this and you haven't heeded our wisdom to go back and listen to part one, would highly recommend. Um, but I, as you and I were talking beforehand, there's so much juice that we didn't get to in part one. So we can kind of dive right into lots of the stuff about dramatic demonstration. But as always, I would love to start with a story and you're the storytelling guy. So I thought it'd be a great place to start. And then we can kind of un unpack some of the beauty of dramatic demonstration. But I think one of the things that I love that you talk about is how telling effective stories that really reveal more of who you are requires a lot of courage. Um, and you have an amazing story about skydiving that that reveals a little bit about courage. I would love for you to share that. <laughs> uh, my 30th birthday, I got surprised uh, by my girlfriend at the time. We, The only thing she told me was wear um, comfortable clothes and that I would be driving to this location. Now, I had no idea where we were going, but I get to what looks like an airplane location, like where air, airplanes take off, like an airport almost. But it was like an executive airport. And as I'm driving up, I realize, oh, I had been talking about going skydiving for four years, and she's heard me talk about skydiving over and over. <laughs> now it's getting ready to happen. So uh, we walk up to the counter, and I'm ex I'm a little excited, but the receptionist hands us five pages of paperwork to to sign. And as I'm going through the five pages of paperwork, over and over, it reminds me that you might die, <laughs> and so you literally have to sign your life away. And I'm like, wait, what was I thinking? Why am I doing this? And literally from that moment to getting into the plane, all of it was a blur. All I remember is the door of the airplane open as we're going into 10,000 feet in the air. And then the next thing I knew, the instructor, he's trying to tell me like how I should position my body, what I should be doing. I'm not really listening. I'm thinking like, am I going to die today? And the next thing I knew, we were jumping out of an airplane 10,000 feet in the air. Um, but we landed on two feet. And it took a lot of courage, not only to sign my life away, but to literally go through with it and realize like, oh, I landed on two feet, right? And so that, to me, that's a skydiving story that I normally use in the beginning of some of my talks to, to, um, to share like life can be scary and sometimes you don't know what comes next or how it's going to happen. But if you trust that you're going to land on two feet, you'll make it. And so, yeah, that's, that's the story that I normally share. That's beautiful. Well then let's help some people land on two feet when it comes to sharing more of them in the world in an authentic and beautiful way. And so let's dive into to all the dramatic demonstration wisdom. So there's a, there's a bunch of ways that we could go to like begin to unpack this. But I know one of the things that you talk about in your book, Dramatic Demonstration, is that the entire time that you are looking at telling cohesive stories or stories that are going to prove a point or, or demonstrate something, you're working on building your case. Um, so I'd love for you to share kind of that and some of the ways that we can begin to think about building our case. <laughs> yeah. So the... In the same way that a lawyer has to prove that a suspect did the crime, 
right? They have to show a burden of proof. And part of that burden of proof or building their case um, means that they come with evidence, right? They come with evidence, whether it is physical evidence, whether it is digital evidence in this day and age now that the person did the crime. There is without a shadow of doubt that this person did the crime. In the same way in business, it's on you to prove, especially nowadays where so many people are talking about how they're the best and they can do this and they can do that. Well, prove it. Can you prove it? And so the way I talk about building the case, case stands for connection, access, status, and education. Um, but you want to be able to build that block by block. And then there's also the five dramatic demonstrations as well. But you want to be able to build your case layer by layer as to who you are, what you're about. Um, that starts with dramatic clarity, right? So they're in dramatic clarity, they are the core stories that you will dig and find and, and understand like, this is who I am and this is why I am like this. Core values, again, core values are the same thing where it's not just the values, like one of my core values is depth versus width, but what are the stories that you attach to those values? So you have core values, core stories, and then core philosophies and beliefs. What does time mean to you? What does money mean to you? What does religion or spirituality mean to you? All these things, and again, you go layer by layer, but you build a strong connection. You give people access into your world. You invite them into your world. Status, because now they feel like they're on a different level. And then education, because you're educating them about the thing that you mm. either sell or the thing that you do. Um, when you begin to build your case in this way, uh, the story that I tell in the book, uh, I happen to be um, on jury duty. And the... At first, it started off really boring because it seemed like the, the prosecutor had no evidence, really. Um, they had brought in the police officer who kind of uh, administered a DUI test for this woman who had allegedly hit another car. Um, there, It was the, the other car that this woman had allegedly hit. They had the two passengers that were in that car that they also brought up on the stand. And all those things are kind of like, mm, yeah, are, are these people believable? But it wasn't until at the very end, right before we were going to go into deliberation, that the prosecutor decided to pull out their most powerful piece of evidence. And it was a video, two videos, actually. But one video was of the woman being, um, she was taken to a DUI. She didn't want to take the DUI tests in the field. So she was taken to a center where you could see she was being belligerent. But then there was also cell phone footage of her arguing and yelling with the passengers that were in the other car that she hit, right? And being argumentative. And it was like, oh yeah, she does look like somebody that was drunk. And so because of that, ended up being guilty. But again, it was this, this prosecutor who decided to build their case layer by layer to, to show us, no, this person is guilty and this is why they deserve to, this is why you as the juror needs to come back with a guilty verdict. And so yeah, building your case is those four things, building connection, building, giving access, status, and education. Love that. So let's zoom in because I think like what's super excited about today is we're going to make this like things that people can really go and take and start implementing. So if somebody wants to build their case, one of the things that I loved about the way that you structure dramatic demonstration is you're very clear on where you need to start or where you should be thinking. And you talk about this formula where it's, uh, I have just my notes here, story plus demonstrations equals beliefs. And you talk about whenever you tell a story, 
you are looking at creating some form of belief in the mind of the people that are experiencing it. So you actually have to kind of like reverse engineer with the end in mind, which I think is absolutely brilliant. So I'd love for you to maybe expand on that a little bit more and share about it. Yeah. When someone is thinking about working with you, the very first question they ask themselves is, why should I work with you versus any and every other option available? If we make that really simple, the question is really, why you? Okay. That's the beginning of it. But then there are 10 common objections that come with that question of why you? Is it really as good as you say? How does it work? Mm, this costs too much. I don't think I should be spending this much money. I don't understand what makes this special or different from others. Who else is using this? Will it work for me? Why should I trust you? Again, those are just seven of the 10 questions. But when you begin to think about those questions, what ends up happening is you look at these demonstrations. Let's talk about what those demonstrations are. There's five of them, dramatic demonstrations, behind the scenes. So that's pulling the curtain back and showing people what real life looks like. Um, when nobody's looking, what does real life look like? There's live illustration. Live illustration is using objects or people to illustrate a point. So really quick example is that when I give a talk, I use a Jenga set. Mm -hmm. And... The talk is really about burnout and recovering from burnout, but on the Jenga set are words written on the pieces. So words like uh, spend too much time on Facebook or um, listening to too many podcasts. In Jenga, you remove the piece and you put it back on top. Well, during my talk, I talk about removing the piece and never replacing it. Hmm. Jenga comes with a 54 piece set, I believe, and I remove 16 pieces. And I read out the words that are written on these pieces, but then what I also do is um, I'll ask the audience who needs to stop spending so much time on social media and if a person raises their hand I'll throw them the piece I do this with about 10, 10 of the pieces what happens is someone goes back home with the piece and it's a reminder of what they need to stop doing it's a physical reminder mm -hmm. instead of me just coming on stage and talking about hey this is what you should be doing and this is why you should be doing it I leave you with something tangible so that's live illustration. Um, social proof we've heard of before, which is just testimonials, right? I take it a step further and I think of the visual cues that come from testimonials, meaning if somebody puts their hand on their heart, you've told them something very emotional or heartfelt. If they're laughing while they're talking to you, maybe they're having a good time, right? The visual cues of that. Um, unique mechanism is not just uh, the formula or system that you have, but the unique characteristic. What makes you you that no one else can copy? As the CEO, as a leader, as an executive, there are things you bring to the business that no one else can copy and no one else can replace. Last one is transformation, which is, happens to be one of my favorite. We're used to transformation in the fitness world, life before, I'm sorry, we're used to transformation in the fitness world before and after. But what does life look like after? It's not just about losing 50 pounds or 100 pounds. What else are they able to do? One of my favorite stories about that is a fitness coach who works with women over 40. And she gets a, a text message. And the text message is of an image of an empty airplane and then the actual text. In, in the actual text, it says, this is her client that has texted her. And she says, this is the first time in my life I'm getting on an airplane Mind you, she's over 40 years old and I haven't had to ask for a seatbelt extension. Mm. Life after means she is no longer having anxiety before she gets on this plane. She's no longer feeling embarrassed 
or whatever other emotional feeling that comes with that. But this is the first time in her life, in her 40s, that she hasn't had to ask for a seatbelt extension. Those five demonstrations are what help to not only build your case, but also to overcome the common objections that people have in their mind that sometimes they won't say out loud, but it makes it easier for them to purchase your product or to buy into your service because now you've answered the questions, all the thoughts and ideas that they've had, you've answered it before it could ever come up. So powerful. And I have this like starred from part one. I have it starred exclamation point tattooed on my butt. Just kidding. Don't have it tattooed on my butt. But <laughs> hearing something said 1000 times is not as powerful as seeing it once. And that was just such a huge takeaway for me last time. And I think that anybody listening, and again, just so that if, if you're washing dishes, if you are mowing the lawn, if you are running right now, I have behind the scenes, live illustration, social proof, unique mechanism and transformation. And obviously, if you want a deep, deep dive in all those things, you can go grab a copy of, of Jude's book, Dramatic Demonstration, which we'll have uh, linked up in the show notes. But I was, as I was thinking about this, Jude, I was like, how do we really kind of focus in on a few of these really to kind of illustrate a point instead of you're, you're about, all about depth versus width, right? So I was like, if I had to pick a few of these to kind of go deep into what would I want to dive deep into? And the, the thing that I think is probably one of the most important topics that comes up in the world of copywriting and the world of marketing, and it's very difficult to understand, but I think that the people I've talked to that have really nailed this one thing, it unlocks so much gold inside of their business. And I know you have for sure unlocked this. So I thought it would be a great way to not only share a little bit more about you and the way that you've worked with clients in the past, but also teach people about this, this thing. So we've already talked about it as the unique mechanism, but um, I think uh, zooming in on this would be super, super powerful. So I don't know where you want to start, but I thought maybe a good place to start and you can take this or you can go somewhere else with it is just talking a little bit about roadmapping and how it's evolved over the years since that's been kind of uh, part of your bread and butter for your process. In 2013, I got a call from an interior designer who wanted to work with me. Um, his name is William. And William had seen one of my previous projects. Now, we might have talked about this in part one with a cosmetic entrepreneur that I worked with, Keisha. Keisha. Yeah. yeah, he had seen that project. And he was just like, I need that. I need that for my business, my interior design business. Um, he was running it with a team, I believe it was seven at the time. And he ran it, he ran it in a very unique way. He, his clients, so he did interior design in Pompano Beach, Florida. But his clients normally... They're coming to him because this is their second or third home, and they're handing him the keys to the house and saying, hey, I want you to do everything. I want you to manage the project from construction to actually designing it, designing the, the items that would go inside of it, and then the final, like just making sure it's finished, right? And But what, what was happening with Williams is that he was spending two hours in meetings, initial meetings, consult with clients that he didn't even know after leaving it, do I have this client or not? Like, are they convinced of working with me? And so for him, the documentary series that I did with Keisha, he was like, I need something like that. Can you do that for me? Great. All right. What I ended up doing now, this is this is critical because in part one of our conversation, I talked about Keisha in the sense that Keisha had made one million dollars from the project I worked on with for her, where I only made three thousand dollars at the time. But I ended up thinking about that and looking at, OK, what can I do to make more money to be able to charge more part of that was learning sales and marketing now in learning sales and marketing one thing i understood was you don't just go into the meeting thinking all right i'm going to pitch them whatever i want to pitch them you get to understand what it is that they need and want 
That's what I did with William. I understood what it is that he needed and wanted. It took me about a month to come up with a proposal, which it shouldn't have. That's a story for another time. <laughs> and yeah, what ended up happening is at the end, I gave him the price. And I was like, all right, this is everything we talked about. Here is the investment that is going to cost. Here's the investment that you'll have to make. And uh, I showed him the price and the price was $15,000. But I'll never forget the words that William said next that shocked me. Because it's not where I was expecting to go with it. But he said, great, when do we get started? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> because <laughs> up until that point, I've always had to negotiate. I've always had to um, figure out, okay, maybe we do it for a little less, or maybe we take pieces out of the project. But he's just like, great, when do we get started? Well, after he signed the contract, gave me the first initial deposit, I asked him, and I was just like, why did you say yes so easily? Like, what was it? And he said to me that it wasn't until he saw there's in part of road mapping, um, there is a, a presentation of a storyboard. And the storyboard is an idea of like, okay, what could this look like? What is it that I would look to capture in telling his story and telling the story of his, his brand? And he said, and until I saw that, it, that's when I believed that you were the right person for the job. Now, the storyboard technically, if we're looking at the five dramatic demonstrations, is a live illustration. But it was the entire process of going through road mapping. He was the very first client that I ever went through that process with. Road mapping is an entire day that I spend with a client. It's evolved since I did it with William, but it's an entire day that I spend with a client. Yes, I'm asking them questions, but I'm also telling them stories about who I am, the stories of... Again, in part one, if you heard me talk about Keisha's story with uh, my car being repossessed, or you heard me talk about the day I lost my father, those are stories that I tell in road mapping. It's and part of your case. <laughs> it's part of my case, right? Because while I am trying to get to understand the client and looking and understanding what it is that they're looking for and build that roadmap to say, this is where we're going to start and this is where we're going to end. What I'm also looking to do is connect with them, Right. And so part of my unique mechanism is that every client has to go through that process. But in going through that process, they get to understand who I am, what I'm about. I get to share stories. Um, and so I build out this unique mechanism, which again, I, I look at unique me mechanism a little differently where in copywriting world, it's definitely like the system, the process, the framework that you have. And this, that still is involved. But bring that process framework to life. To me, I do that in road mapping by not just saying, okay, we're going to figure out where we're going. But I also want you to feel like you're making the right choice, right? I want to, I want you to come to that conclusion. I'm not going to tell you you're making the right choice. I want you to come to that conclusion. And I do that in road mapping by showing my unique characteristics. I'm going to go really deep with you. So that's why I open up with the Spokane, Washington story of that's the day that I lost my father. I call it my Spokane story. I open up with that because I want you to be vulnerable. And I want you to understand this is not about video production or storytelling. This is about leadership, right? Um, and and throughout the, the entire session, there's stories that I'm dripping. Literally, almost like if you think about it like an email sequence, I'm mm. dripping out stories mm. that take you on this journey so that you understand what this is really about. I'm not selling video production. I'm not selling storytelling. What I'm selling is leadership. And that's really critically important. Oh man, there's so much to dig into there. So I, I guess, I think what's really cool to dissect is 
how this evolved. And I love how you started with the first version of this that you ever sold. I have this as an old note from a podcast that I listened to. So this may or may not be accurate, but is it true that this started out as like the road mapping session was like $400 to begin with? Was that like the start of it? Okay. So 400 <laughs> bucks to, it, yeah. to, to, to what is it? What is it today's today? <laughs> today is 17,000. Okay. So there's, yeah. there's been a lot of steps that you've taken to, I, I'm sure that you know, you even mentioned in the beginning, like you probably didn't have all of the, the case built up when it was the $400 thing. But like the thing that I just want to highlight that I think is so important to this is that I think there was a study about jams. That's the first thing that come into my mind. I promise this is going somewhere, but there was a, there was a grocery store. And if I remember correctly, they were testing to see how many variants of a particular product needed to be available to influence the perception of the confidence in their decision. I don't know if I, I was a little messy in saying that, but basically the, the, the result of the study is that the less jams that were available, the more confident that you felt in your decision afterwards. Whereas if you go to a grocery store where there's 9 million jams, there's a chance that you feel like you made the wrong decision. I took that whole route to say <laughs> the part that I think is so cool about a unique mechanism and what you've done is that there's only one jam and any client that is ever going to work with me is going to taste this jam and it's fucking delicious and you're going to get results and it's built just for you. And I built a whole name and a process around it. And that's the thing. And there's no like questioning about A, B or C it's, you have a proven process. It's got a name around it. There's this, and it's this price. And I think that that just makes the buying decision so much easier, especially when you present it the way that you presented it. So what is the last purchase you've made that made you think twice. Mm. Like it wasn't an easy thing to be like, okay, I'm going to hand over my credit card for this. Um, I would say I, I find myself investing a ton in self-development, self-improvement courses and that kind of stuff. And it's always like, if I'm going to invest in this thing, it's all this time. So I'd say it was probably... Uh, when I joined Ben Hardy's 10x challenge thing of like dedicating to that. So that was the most recent one. Okay. And why was it uh, a hesitation towards paying for it? I would, as much as it was a hesitation for paying for it, it was a matter of like, did this fit in with like my current focus and alignment? And this is this where I want to direct my time, energy and effort for it? So that was probably the biggest variable. I don't know if I'm giving you a tough, tough one. No, but... no, no, you are. So you wanted to make sure your time was being spent in the right thing. What ultimately helped you decide that this is where my time should go? Um, I think after reading the initial content of the book, knowing that, that I was going to be held to a higher standard of actually implementing the concepts, that was probably like, I, I wanted to pay so that I make sure that I paid attention essentially. The reason I went that route is that I happen to work with clients. I try to attract premium clients and premium and luxury are interchangeable. So if you're listening to this and you work with luxury clients, uh, they're interchangeable. Now, Brandon has already asked me about uh, road mapping. Road mapping is 17,000. If I do a docu-series, that is a six-figure investment for a client, right? But premium clients are looking for, and what helps them making easier decision, they're looking for the best, Right. Mm. They want to work with the best, but they also are obsessed with being the best mm. now. But what does it look like to work with the best? That means that there are boundaries and barriers. That's B, right? Boundaries and barriers. 
in my opinion, no should be the first three answers to any question that they ask, right? That's just the easy way to think about barriers. What are your limits? What are you not willing to do? Um, you mentioned, what made me think about that is you mentioned in the beginning is that with road mapping, I set a very clear parameter, a very clear boundary. You, If, if you would like to work with Jude Charles, maybe you've seen something that he's done before and or you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I, I need to work with this guy. Your first boundary or barrier is road mapping. Mm. No one works with me without it. It has to happen. There isn't, I do not give out quotes. There isn't an idea of like, oh, well, maybe just give me a rough estimate of what this is going to cost. I can't tell you. We got to go through road mapping first. So that's the first one. The second one is they desire an experience, which is E, experience over price. I have, when I'm choosing to work with a client, there are these, uh, I believe it's up to 32 different points that I look at. And the client has to match up with 80% of those 32 points. Oh my gosh. And so, um, because for me, it's not, one of those things actually on that list is, do they invest in travel? Do they travel to go to places? Because, and do they invest in their own personal development? If they invest in those two things, they, fi they find value in experiences over price. Now, I asked you, what was the one thing that you um, hesitated on spending money on? It wasn't really about the money as much as it was about, is this the right use of my time? Is this, is this the right time to do this? And is this going to be a good experience? When I tell the story of losing my father, I end the story by saying, I'm going to lead you through this process. We're, we're not here to tell a story. We're not here to even do video. I'm here to lead you through this process. They want to be led through processes and experiences, mm. not just spending money. It's not a transaction. It is a transformation. It is a relationship, right? So that's e-experience, right? You make it easy for them. They, they don't have to think about what happens next. Uh Number th the third one, S, is status, which we talked a little bit about status when we're building your case, but understand what you're really selling. I've said this over and over. I'm not selling storytelling. I'm not selling video. I'm selling leadership. What do you stand for? What do you stand against? Your service or product has to mean more than just a purchase. And then T is you earn trust. You do all those other things, right? Boundaries, experience, status. You earn their trust and their trust goes a long way. Now, I'm going to wrap this up with a very important context to all of this. I worked with a client in 2022, um, six-figure client, uh, but I battled depression all throughout this project. And we may have talked about that a little bit in part one, where, again, I went through burnout. There was a moment even at the very beginning of that project, the same project, I cried on the airplane on the way back because it was just so much stress relieving from the project. Um, but this client said, so she premiered her docu-series online. She did a whole watch party, big watch party. Uh, I think almost a thousand people showed up to the watch party to watch it live with her. And then she did an after party where, you know, kind of did Q&A and I happened to be a part of the, the after party. And I remember this client, um, I told the story, the same story about losing my father, but I ended it differently, which we talked about that, about that in part one, lessons mm -hmm. change, right? The lessons change. But I, I ended it with my gift and understanding my gift and my calling in that although I I battled depression, I showed up and I showed up because I understand who I am. Well, this client, her name is Luann. And Luann said to me, you know what? Yes, there was a point where I understood this is what you were going through, but I could never tell. I could never see it. She was like, every time I showed up, 
And there's this specific thing she said that I had never paid attention to, but she was like, every time I showed up and you came to place a microphone on me. Now for context and microphone, it goes on the inside of her shirt, make sure people can't see it, but it gives me good audio when I'm filming or me and my team are filming the projects. She was like, every time it was just like, you kind of gave me a little preparation. You were asking me if I'm okay. And basically her point is I was leading her even as we were filming. And she's like, that brought my guards down. That made me feel comfortable enough to film. Cause obviously this is an invasive thing. I film with my clients for up to six months, sometimes a year. She's like, this is an invasive thing. But every time you did that, it made me feel comfortable. What it was is that even though I was struggling with this thing that she kind of knew about, she felt like she could trust me because I made the experience. Everything that I talked about, you got to go through road mapping first. I'm going to lead you through this process. The experience itself made her trust me more than just she had paid me six figures, right? And so it's important that you understand what it is a luxury client is looking for. You understand what a premium client is looking for. Whether it is you're selling a premium product or you're selling a premium service, they're looking for this, these boundaries, the experience, status, and then ultimately trust. Can they trust you? And it is up to you with dramatic demonstration to provide that, to show that, that this, you are worth, and it, you are, the thing that you're creating is valuable beyond money, right? And that is what helps to take everything to the next level. Oh my God. So just before, just for some context for you guys listening, before we hit the record button, Jude was like, I got this acronym called BEST and that may or may not come up. And I am so freaking glad that you worked that in because that was <laughs> nuts. And that was so, so good. I mean, that's like unique mechanism, a properly delivered unique mechanism does all of those things, which you, which you just demonstrated. There's one thing that I want to zoom in on and I couldn't ignore it. It's the fact that you said you have 32 different points that help yeah. you to determine whether you want to work with someone. So I, I, I want to like understand this a little bit more too, because obviously client selection is such an important thing and being clear, this is part of a boundary, you know, that you've set that is that you're only working with people that, that fit this and anybody that can specifically say they're looking for 32 different things. So I guess whether or not you share the specifics or not, I'm trying to understand from like an actual tactical perspective, like you sit down, you meet with someone, you have a few conversations with them or you connect with them. However, is this like an internal dialogue checklist? You're like, do they fit this criteria? Yes, no. Like I, I want to know functionally how that works. <laughs> yeah. So it's an internal dialogue. Now it happens at different points. Um, sure. This part is not, it's, it, there isn't like a formula, at least for me on my end in my businesses, and there, there's not a formula to it, but It'll happen in our initial conversation before road mapping, or it'll happen in road mapping. Okay. So I'll I'll actually because I pulled it up as you were asking because that's one thing I love about you. You get really specific about um, certain things, especially things that I don't normally talk about. But I pulled it up, and I'll just go through. Let's just go through the first ten. Yeah. Just so you can get an idea of what it means that I, I look for this. This they have to match this uh, 40%. I mean, I'm sorry. They have to match 80%. this 80% white. <laughs> um, so I'm looking at it. And one of the things is they have to be 40 and older, but um, are they a thought leader, CEO, or influencer? That's number one, 40 or older. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that if you want to. Uh, number three is they have children. They're married. Married is part of commitment. Again, th this goes really deep. I look at the- This is so good. Uh, <laughs> psycho- it's the psycho, I believe it's psycho, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's it's more than just demographics, it's psychographics, right? It's it's about who this person is beyond age, color, uh, 
location of where they live, right? It goes beyond that. Um, so number four was married. Number five is a person who enjoys travel, which I talked about that. Number six is an author of at least two books. And I even write notes on some of these. And I wrote promoting a docuseries is like promoting a book. If they spent time thinking deeply about their process of work, it makes it easier to create this docuseries, right? Because they're, they're a thought leader. They're someone who knows how to speak about who they are and what they do. Um, number seven is running a business doing at least three million. Uh, number eight goes back to what I mentioned with traveling. They enjoy experiences. So that means they could be sea bass fishing, fine dining, traveling. Um, they lead a team of at least five people. That means that they value help from others. Not looking to work with solopreneurs necessarily, right? Uh, and then number 10 is they believe in testing new ways to go about solving a problem. They're open-minded. Now, what's also, as I'm looking at this, what's also connected to this, I have five core values. Um, uh, depth versus width, storytelling, adventure, relentless. And there's a fifth one I can't remember, but some of these have my actual core value right next to the actual point as well, because it reminds me of, no, this person has to match your core values as well, right? So again, it gets really deep. And that's why I say, I like that because normally I don't talk about this stuff. This gets really granular and most people aren't doing this in their business and it's not, it does take time. I've been in business 17 years. So this obviously it didn't happen day one, but you get really deep in understanding like this is the right person to work with and that I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy the experience too. It's not just they're going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. And so, yeah, that's, um, oh, freedom was the last, the last core value, of course. And I don't know how I forgot that, but there's, yeah, freedom was the last core value. Okay. I, you don't have to answer now because I know we're recording, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to propose a trade for you because not only have I done this, I built a spreadsheet that has drag and drop sections that will calculate okay. an objective score, whether or not they have all the different criteria. And I have a whole section. So I have a section that's on uh, core value alignment. So like I have yep. my core values at the top and then like, like, so for example, um, conscious storytelling. And then I have a drop down. It's like, is there strong evidence, slight evidence or no evidence? And that Ooh, weights the yeah. score slightly different. So like for conscious storing, an evidence of that would be if I went on someone's site and they said something along the lines of, I went through this experience and this is how it transformed me. And this is what it means for me now. That is evidence of somebody being intentional and empowering with their, their storytelling. And that would say, so like, I have like, not only do I have a checklist with similar criteria to what you mentioned, um, mm -hmm. like I have, I have, I call them idea vehicles, number of idea vehicles, like how many different ways are they distributing their thought leadership? Um, how many interviews have they done on listen notes? Are they actively capturing emails on their email list? Like how prevalent is the email capture on their list? Um, you know, what type of business and what was the source of the person that came to you? So like, was it a referral from another client? Was it a referral from another podcast guest? Was it a cold outreach? Like all those things like wait into it. So again, you don't have to tell me now, but I'd be interested <laughs> in trading your 32 points for my, <laughs> for my mapping process. Cause that, that's really, really cool. <laughs> no, absolutely. Cause that goes, I mean, there's, there's just science behind that, right? I just look at, okay, do they match the 80% of sure. this 32? And I say, 80, I don't know the actual number for the 80% now, just because I add to this. There are things that might happen in business where I'm like, okay, I don't want to work with that type of person anymore. Mm. And so I'll add to it. Um, but yeah, I definitely, and yours, I like that because again, it gets real formulaic and I kind of geek out on formulas as well. So yeah, I'd love to swap <laughs> on that. All right, sweet. Sounds good. Now that we have that little side tangent out of the way, but I think it's really important because it's like, 
the, and I know we talked about core values so much in the last conversation. I'm sure we could probably talk about this for days, but it's like, until I had those clearly defined, it was really hard for me to, because lots of this stuff is really, it's, it's, it's not very concrete and it, it until it's defined, it it is super unconcrete. And because it's like you have all these variables, you're like, why did this person resonate with me? Why didn't they? But like once it's documented and at least you have this kind of like mental checklist, I found it to be incredible. And not only that, like when you can articulate what you want, you just you you find more and more people like that because it's like yeah. they they're clear and then you're able to get introductions and referrals. And I just met someone last week because I was kind of sharing very clearly about the kind of people I was looking at getting connected with. And like this person, I'm like big things are going to happen with me and this person. I'm really freaking excited. But like it's because of like the great like how ridiculous. I mean, some people would look at this and think it's ridiculous, but I think that it's this level of specificity that like unlocks a ton of greatness. So thank you for nerding out with me on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I agree that specificity is what is what helped me transform um, my business, right? Roadmapping. We talked a lot about roadmapping, but being very specific of like, no, this is the way we're going to work together helps to, again, attract the right client, but also understand that I've taken time to build this. Mm -hmm. And because I've taken the time to build it and I have a very clear process of how I go through this and I'm very clear on who I am and the things that, you know, I'm, I'm about, it makes it easier for this person to decide, should I work with him or should I not? And sometimes that des decision is in an instant. Sometimes it happens within the first 30 minutes. They've already made up their mind. No, I'm going to work with you. I've got to figure this out. And that's the best type of client I want to have is the one that's like, it may not be in the budget right now, but we're going to figure it out and we're going to make it happen, right? And so that specificity, like you mentioned, it helps you attract the right person that you're getting ready to do a very big project. The big things are going to happen, right? It's in every part of life, if you can get very specific, and it doesn't mean you're rigid. Remember, I didn't say they have to match 100%. They only have to match 80%. But if you get to that level of specificity, it just everything else becomes easier in your business. Yeah, a hundred percent. And again, just calling attention to this for you hanging out with us right now, like specificity is like a theme between last conversation and this conversation in both the stories that you tell and things like, you know, I, you know, painting your ideal customer avatar and all that kind of stuff. There's one more small detail I want to zoom in on unique mechanism. And again, it's like one of those things that I just can't, can't gloss over. It's the fact that like, you've named and labeled this. Like, it's really important that this thing has a name. Um, so like maybe talk a little bit about, was it always called road mapping? Like, did you arrive at that? Or like other people that you've seen work on this kind of a model, how have you thought about putting like a container around this thing? Yeah, I didn't call it road mapping till I started charging for it. Um, like I think of William, William didn't know the name road mapping initially. Um, mm. He knew that we would have this consultation session pretty much. And I didn't start calling it roadmapping. Like transparently, I got the name roadmapping from a web design company that did roadmaps uh, for their clients. And that's what gave me the idea, wait, I could charge for this, right? Mm. Like, because in our world, in my world, video production, it is known as treatments. You create a treatment, which is sometimes you'll do a storyboard and give a synopsis of the project and maybe a couple other things. But... We would just call it a treatment. Well, in calling it road mapping, and again, because it made so much sense from this web design company, let's go from beginning to end. It's hard for me to tell you what a project's going to cost unless I understand what it is that we're building. 
right? Even in a docu-series, um, there's different things that may happen. There's different locations we may need to go film. There are different events that the client may, may be having. I won't know until we talk everything through. I won't know if we even need to film some of these events because they may not match your core values or they may not match the story that we're looking to tell. So yeah, I think roadmapping came. Um, so I started roadmapping in 2015, I think it was. And that was the very first time I gave it a name, begin to give it a process. It's evolved over time. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, so it's important to give it a name. Like there's, there's all these other names too, that you probably have heard of like Oxy. No, not the Oxy clean. There's like, uh, <laughs> like Tosin? actually here's one that's, here's one that's really cool. Here's one that's really cool. Orange theory. If you've ever worked mm. out at orange theory, orange theory has different heart rate zones. So I believe the first one is like green, red, and then ultimately you get to orange. You want to be in the orange zone for at least 12 minutes in that session. So it's a 60 minute session. You want to be in the orange zone for 12 minutes. Because what that means is if you're in the orange zone for at least, I think it's 12 minutes, I might be wrong about that number, but you got to be in that in the range for a specific amount of time. If you do that, you continue to burn calories 48 hours after your session. So hmm. there's a science behind it. But that's how the name Orange Theory came about. I never knew that. That's right? really good to know. That's that's good to know. Yeah. And, and just I'll add to this as another example that came up to my mind of a unique mechanism, bulletproof coffee. Like it, the yeah. fact that like put, yeah. putting yak butter inside of your coffee, that would be considered like <laughs> uh, a unique mechanism. And that would also, I mean, that falls into kind of copywriting land. But I mean, that's as as uh, Mark Goulson, he's a former FBI hostage negotiator that came on my show. He had this one line. I'm like, ooh, that's good. But it was like, it's counterintuitive, but intuitively correct. Um, mm -hmm. And like, I think that that's one of those, I mean, if you're looking for mass market unique mechanisms, I think is a slightly different conversation that we're having right now, but um, all really interesting factors to keep in mind. So um, last hopefully point we... I want to make about that. Yeah. Last point I want to make about that. You create a unique mechanism, but then you dramatically de demonstrate the unique mechanism, right? The reason I brought up orange theory is because there isn't just the idea of, oh, this is our formula and this is how we do things you then get the stories of people who have been in Orange Theory for six months or a year. And they, uh, Orange Theory has, we, you and I have talked offline about Spartan races, but Orange Theory has their own like triathlon that they call dry try, I believe it is, mm. right? And so how do you dramatically demonstrate this unique mechanism that you talk about? So for, for example, I have done road mapping sessions where I personally like to go to the client, sit with them and do the session. But sometimes I do a virtual. I've now taken those virtual sessions and I won't use, like if I do a four hour session, I won't use the full four, four hours and put it online, but I might use a 20 minute piece that shows the transformation this person has had in our road mapping session. Mm. Because what that demonstrates is not just, okay, I have a formula, I have a way of doing things. It demonstrates the transformation that happens in the moment. Mm. It demonstrates it is it, you also are able to tell a story about this specific moment in time. That's what storytelling is. It's a very specific moment in time. So can you tell me about a story where your unique mechanism came alive and it shows like this is why this is important. We go about this route. Mm. Right. And so that is how you it's not just creating the unique mechanism and giving it a name. How do you make it tangible? You make it tangible by telling the story or even creating a video around that story of what, why this is an important, unique mechanism, why this thing, this very specific, unique mechanism is what helps create the end result. 
Love that. I love that. I'm going to make, I, I feel like you and I keep saying final, final, but I'm going to make a final comment on this. Then I'm going to take us back and I want to, I want to talk about something else, <laughs> but actually t- the, earlier this morning, uh, uh, Mark Aaron's and I actually meet every single week and we do a, a co-working session every Wednesday. And it's essentially like just a three hour block where we just basically say, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And then we go and we do it and we get, so anyways, I was talking to him early today. I know I connected, you guys reconnected since the last time that we talked, but he did something on his site that I thought was so brilliant. Just to kind of give someone something tactical that you talked about. If you're running these uh, sessions with clients virtually, Mark actually got on with a client, he had it recorded. And he kind of got this clip of her saying how overwhelmed she was and blah, 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 blah. And then in his video, it was like a time lapse of like the rest of the call. And then at the end of the call was her saying, holy shit, how did you do that? That was incredible. And it was like, all it took was like a minute. I don't think I think you can go find it on his site. It's actually with another friend of our uh, mine, Marusha Murphy. <laughs> uh, but it was it was just such a perfect demonstration of everything that we've been talking about of like, how do you find a way to take something and show it in a way that really shows, not tells the value of what it is that you're creating. So amazing. Uh, we talked, we, so again, just taking everyone back up, we, we talked about dramatic demonstrations. We talked about the different types. We've been stick, sticking a lot about unique mechanism and probably even more depth uh, about how to create one as well. But the other thing that I thought, and again, this is a, probably a whole separate masterclass topic, but one thing I talked to you before we started uh, recording Jude is like, on part one, and then in lots of other conversations I've had, we talked about the importance of finding your why and knowing your why, but it's a completely different thing to dramatically demonstrate your why. So now that people have kind of gotten like a zoom in on unique mechanism and a high level of some of the other ones, if somebody wants to figure out how they could begin to show, not tell what it is, why they do, what's at the core, what are some ways that you would encourage people to peel back the layers to make that happen? I would peel back the layer with all five dramatic demonstrations. What I mean by that is there's behind the scenes, live illustration, social proof, unique mechanism and transformation. Um, I am recently coming off of my sabbatical. One cool thing that I like to do on Instagram is that I will create a real uh, Instagram reel or a video of um, my recent month, right? So like I'll do January, February, March, April, May, and then June. Well, this time of my June sabbatical, I take June and December off every year. June, this time in June, I also spent time with family. We went to, there was a hundred, almost a hundred of us that went to Jamaica to celebrate a wedding. And I showed that and I showed how I did excursions, right? And so how does that match my why? My why is to lead and empower entrepreneurs to have relentless courage. It takes an incredible amount of courage to take two months off. And I mean, like really take it off. It's hard, right? It is not, I'm not going to make it seem like it's easy. And before, when I started it, it was much easier November, December than it is now to do it June and December. But what I do is I demonstrate what I do with that time off. Now, part of it, like I think December of 2021, I went to a cabin and just completely, I love December. I go completely off the grid. I do not talk to anyone. I don't see anyone. I'm not spending any time on social media, doing any podcasts, nothing. Um, but what do you do when you're trying to demonstrate your why? I just showed myself walking through the woods. I showed what the cabin looked like so that when I came back off break, I could show that. Um, you bring people behind the scenes. You pull back the curtain of what does, you have a why where is there a specific moment in time that this why is being illustrated and show me that, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
one of my core values is depth versus width. There's one virtual road mapping session that I had where this woman started by saying, look, Jude, I have no stories. I can't help. I can't give you stories. And it's, it's wild to see because it's like you paid me to come and tell me that you don't have stories. <laughs> but you see this transformation. Now, this video is longer. It's about 20 minutes, I believe. And it's longer. What you see happening is I continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, what happens with me when I do road mapping sessions is I don't just come to the road mapping session without any research. I will spend time researching the person, getting to know them. What have they put online? With this woman specifically, she was an accountant. And we couldn't get to, like, I kept asking her about her why. Why are you an accountant? She's working with uh, firms that are, uh, she's working with other businesses that are doing at least $500,000 in business and helping them with their accounting. Couldn't get anywhere with that. So I asked her about something that she happens to do every Tuesday. She loves, she, and she recently learned how to be a captain of a boat. And she loves to go boating. And so I asked her about that. And we got really deep about that. And I was like, okay, well, how do you relate when you were learning how to be a captain? How do you relate that to accounting? She was able to give me five different stories in a matter of 10 mm. minutes. And she got really excited. But again, it's a demonstration of my why to lead and empower entrepreneurs to have relentless courage, to go really deep with them, to show them that, no, you have it in you. You just didn't know you have it in you until someone is able to pull it out of you until someone is able to give you permission to say, no, you could use that. You could do that, right? That is how you demonstrate your why is you find these specific moments in time that you can show what is happening and show proof that this is how I actually go about demonstrating my why. I love that. And just to tie it back to part one of the conversation for our friends that have listened to both, like this is a story bank, right? We talked about the story bank, the importance of a story bank, like whether it's a notebook that you have or a virtual version of it. Like, I think that that's a great, uh, in my mind, like a sub categorization of how to leverage your story bank. It's like almost like there's a section of like, what are specific moments in time that show that you are living your why or living your core values. And those are all ways to demonstrate that. So I love that. And I think that that's uh, one of those things that like, now that you've heard this, you can't unhear it. So like now, now that you're consciously aware of like there being opportunities all over, because if it really is your why you should every single day have some, something that you're doing, that's probably demonstrating on some level what it is. Um, and just being aware that you can have that demonstration is, is super powerful. Um, Jude, I know we're, we're coming up on time a little bit here, but you, I, I can't help but ask because we talked about this. You just spent a month. Like I, you're like, you just came out of hibernation and you, you, even though we spent this entire time talking about how you've built up your unique mechanism, you built up your business, you charge $17,000 for road mapping, six figures for clients. One of the things that when we reconnected last time, I was like, dude, you're freaking epic is like you are you are evolving, you are ready for your next phase. And uh, the last time I talked, you were just telling me about how you're thinking about completely shifting the way that you work with people, even though you have it dialed in, you have a system, you have a structure around it, but uh, you're a curious human that's ready to kind of see what he's made of on the inside for the next level. So I would love for you to share a little bit more about that. Yeah, a few years ago, I read a book by Reginald F. Lewis, um, and the book is called Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? Mm. Reginald F. Lewis was the first African-American to form a billion-dollar business. Now, what does that mean? And it's very specific about forming that billion-dollar business. What he basically did is he bought two businesses, and he put them together, and he was the first one to ever do it. And he did it specifically through leveraged a, a specific financial way, which is called leveraged buyouts. Um. 
reading his biography, because that's what it is. It's a biography of his life. Reading about it sparked so many ideas on how I could do what I do differently. Um, he started as a lawyer, a lawyer writing up the contracts for these leveraged buyouts. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to have a seat at the table. For me, where I go next, what I plan to do next, I've been doing video production for almost 20 years now. What I plan to do next is to, of course, use my skills in storytelling and marketing and video production, but use that in a way to purchase businesses and sell businesses, leveraged yeah. buyouts. For those who are not familiar, leveraged buyouts is, means that you buy the business and get money to buy the business from a bank or from other financial means, but you, it's not your own money. You use the profits from that business in order to borrow money, but you still own 100% of it or whatever the, the the agreement is, you own that business. Um, I've seen on behind the scenes of a lot of big businesses, um, worked with a lot of great clients. And for me now it's time to play a bigger game and it's time to get a greater piece of the pie. That pie happens to be buying and selling businesses. Um, I had mentioned to you offline that Here's what I love about my sabbaticals is that there's a level of clarity that comes out of the sabbaticals when you just slow down. Um, what ended up happening this time around, and this might be an area that I decide to go into leverage buyouts, but it is in interior design. I have a client, Luann, that I just talked about. She um, is an expert in this. She has been in the interior design world for over 40 years. She ran a business, um, very successful business, and I did her documentary series, but she's also, she runs a podcast that does, that has almost 7 million downloads, um, over a thousand episodes recorded. There's this knowledge and this experience and this connection that she has both with big businesses like Kravit, which is a hundred year old company, but also with just the everyday person who's running a small interior design firm. My point being, I did a podcast, not with her, ironically. I've been on her podcast four times, but I did it with someone else that she happened to listen to, loved it so much that she ended up uh, doing an Instagram Live, 25-minute Instagram Live, talking about what I talked about. What I talked about on this other podcast <laughs> was the five ways to lead your, your luxury client in a luxury design business. She talked about, took 25 minutes to talk about it, then invited me to speak at her event. And there's like all these other things happening as a result of um, me doing this other podcast. But that happened while I was offline, right? But it crystallized like, wait, there's a niche that I have an advantage in, that I get to play in, that I have an advantage in. I have the person who is the foremost thought leader in this space who is not only a fan of me, of course, but is co-signing and saying, no, Jude is this person who can help you build a luxury design business, right? Who can mm -hmm. help you understand what it takes to build that. What does that mean? What does that look like? Buying and selling interior design businesses, mm -hmm. helping, and in, in not just interior design, it could be design as far as architectural, architectural companies. But again, these companies, these are mostly creatives where they get into the business, but they don't know how to run the business. They don't know how to do the marketing and sales of the business. That's an avenue where I'm thinking of, okay, what makes what I want to do that I've never done before what makes it easier? On my sabbaticals, that's something that I love to think about is 
what's working? Why is it working? Can I double or triple down into it? I've been mm. working with Luann for two years now. Never considered that before coming off of this sabbatical. So it's it's that's what kind of happens in my sabbaticals is is this level of clarity of thought of realizing, no, you can make this easier and even if you've never done it before, but you just need time to slow down and think about it. Oh man, that is epic. And I am so glad that you have that time off to ask yourself those big questions. It's so inspirational for me. And I'm sure for so many people listening, cause it's like just asking yourself those super crunchy questions. Um, that's amazing. And I, I, I'm sure you said this and like, this is a part of it too, but I can imagine too, obviously is like, you're working on essentially increasing the valuation and probably conversions across the board, across everything they're doing by integrating more effective story throughout the whole thing. I'm assuming that's like the main part of it or a main part of it. <laughs> yeah. So that's, it's, it's one thing I've learned in, in what I've been doing the last, again, just researching this a little bit more intellectual property is probably the most valuable thing that you could have in a business. Um, it's kind of like real estate, but it's digital real estate, right? Dramatic demonstration is my intellectual property that I've built over the years. There is also dramatic clarity that we've talked about offline. There's three different books I'm going to. There's a, this dramatic demonstration book is part of a trilogy. Dramatic demonstration, dramatic clarity, and dramatic leverage. If I can incorporate this intellectual property into these, their formulas that's already been built. There's formulas that not only been built, they've been proven. Now, can you incorporate that into other businesses within the same industry and prove, again, that this is possible, that you can convert sales at a higher rate, that you can attract a very specific client in a very specific location based off of dramatic demonstration or based off of dramatic clarity? Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to it, and it's not all completely 1,000% clear. But what is clear is that this is the route to go in. What is clear mm -hmm. is that this is, when we look at courage, what it takes to lead and empower entrepreneurs to have relentless courage, relentless unwavering courage, this is it, is you take that next step that's like, what's the bigger idea here that mm -hmm. you can execute? Oh man, dude, I'm just so grateful that you're in my world again. Like it is so, it is so cool to see you evolving and I just can't wait to see uh like this continue and it's just going to be it's just going to be epic so thank you for doing not only part one but part two and really taking us behind the scenes of how we can dramatically demonstrate all these important things and for those of you that are listening that haven't listened to episode 140a was a big episode but i went into basically what like i uncovered is my dramatic clarity phase like how i kind of came to all my answers so i think that this is definitely like the next phase of that is like how do you work on ways to dramatically demonstrate that so uh fun fact about behind the scenes thing about how this ended up working out with Jude and myself is that when we recorded the first episode, I hadn't officially made the transition to Beyond Curious. So the first one, like I didn't have the official thing. These are both having come out on Beyond Curious now, but now this is like, we're officially recording on Beyond Curious. So I'm kind of like playing and exploring. And the question that I always ask in the past is what does happiness mean to you today? Now, I know lots of people love that question. So don't freak out. I may not take it away, but <laughs> I thought it'd be really cool because I know Jude is one of the most curious humans I know when I listened to him before he came on the first episode, there was a podcast where he's like, the first thing you need to know about me is that I'm a curious human. So um, I, I'm, I'm going to play with a, a different final question just because I want to play with it. And I think you're a great person to play with it with, but what does beyond curious mean to you, Jude? What does it mean to go beyond curious for yourself? 
That's a great question. When is the last time you've dreamed? That's the question that I like to ask myself. Um, to be able to go beyond curious. I think it is as life evolves, as life continues to happen. Like by this point, you have already announced it. You are not only married, but getting ready to have your first child. And it's like, what comes with that is different responsibilities, right? And there are possibly risks that you may not be able to take anymore or you think that you can't take anymore. So I'm always looking at how can I dream beyond what I actually think is a parameter for me right mm. now? Um, that is a beyond curious looks like. To think about buying and selling businesses when I come from a video production background, that's almost like, that's two different worlds. But it's possible. The reason I love Reginald F. Lewis's book is because over and over he demonstrates his thought process and he goes really deep into why he did certain things. And that's why I love biographies over just regular self-help books. But that's what helps me get beyond curious is what is it that, how can I change my perspective of what I am seeing and how I am seeing it, even if it's difficult right now? Um, yeah, that is how I look at going beyond curious. That's freaking epic and, and like super selfish and self-serving. Uh, you know, maybe I'll keep asking that because that was epic. And I think that you were the perfect person to answer that question. So thank you so much, Jude, for being the pure definition of somebody that goes beyond curious. And as always, I'm just going to have a really quick conversation with you listening. And I just want to say you could be listening to any other podcast. You could be doing so many different things, but you chose to listen to this episode today. And there is so much in here that can absolutely change someone's life. And so my ask for you is that if it was a story that Jude shared, whether it was him jumping off of a plane, or maybe it was talking about <laughs> the 32 points of like what he looks through inside of a client or unique mechanism, there's something in here that can impact someone. So my ask for you is that you take a second to share this with someone, because not only will it make my day, it'll make Jude's day as well. And I'm just so grateful for you listening. And Jude, as always, any final things that you want to say before we head off for part two, maybe the continuation of a saga? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Anything you want to say before we head off today? <laughs> I'll end with a story. September of 2022, I, um, I was, it was Labor Day weekend, spending time with family. And um, do not judge me, but I, at the time I'm 33 years old, but just learned how to swim that year. <laughs> I'd never learned how to swim before then. And so I am excited about getting in the pool Labor Day weekend. Um, again, I live in Florida. We're barbecuing, enjoying. And I'm in the pool for at least an hour swimming, doing backstrokes, like just enjoying my time because it's the first time I really get to swim. Like I just learned how to swim. Well, I don't know what happened, but at one point I go to the deep end of this pool and I think I got a little tired and I try to put my feet down, but I can't feel the base of the pool. And so I panic and I begin to take in water. Now, mentioned, I already mentioned where I'm with family. There's about seven or eight other people in the pool and I'm flapping my hand above water to try to give their attention like, hey, I need help. <laughs> That wasn't working for a while. As I'm continuing to take in water, I'm like, okay, I got to figure out something else to do here because this might be it. So I get up all the, I get buster all the energy that I have to go to the bottom of the pool and I jump all the way up. Like I let myself sink and then I just jump all the way up. And then when I got to the top, I just screamed, help, <laughs> and sink right back down. 
my best friend was there, Nia. She ends up diving to the bottom to come get me. Now, Nia is only 130 pounds. I am 185 pounds. She's 5'2", 130 pounds. I'm 5'10", 180 pounds. And she has to figure out a way to get me out of this pool without both of us drowning. Luckily, she figures out that way. She swims me to the edge of the pool, and I'm able to hold on and catch my breath. I'm sitting on the edge of this pool, and I'm catching my breath, breathing, and her mother comes up to me. And her mother is like, uh, hey, why don't you just get back in the pool? <laughs> and I, as calm as I could say it, I was just like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm not ready to get back in the pool. And she looks at me very seriously, and she says, look, Jude, I'm 55 years old. There's a lot of mistakes I've made in my life, things that I wish I could have done differently. But she was like, the most important thing I learned is to just try it again. And she was like, why not just jump in and get in this pool again? And so I jumped in. Sometimes uh, the thing that you want to do next, the thing that you might feel like is impossible, the thing that might have scared you, you tried it before and it scared you, is, is like you don't want to do it. But if you just decide to jump in and try it again, it'll be worth it. And I can gladly say I did jump in. And I continued to swim and enjoy my time, even after a very scary and difficult time. Courage isn't always about this big thing that you have to do. Sometimes it's the very small things that if you do it over and over, like trying again, like jumping back in, it helps to build and compound over time to give you the courage that you need to do the really big thing later. So just try it again. Whatever that small thing is that you may be thinking, oh, I can't do that. Or that was scary last time. Or I failed at it last time. Try it again. Hear that, guys? That was the sound of my mic dropping. Uh, so nothing more to say besides, <laughs> Jude, you're amazing. I appreciate you so much. And we'll talk to you very soon, my friend. Thank you, Brandon.